Hello and welcome to this episode of the Spotlight Podcast. My name is Christina Kerr. I work at Spotlight and today we've got a very juicy topic for you. It is tax and contracts. I know, I know, not the sexiest topic ever, but really important for all freelance workers. We're talking today to Alan Lean, who is the Tax and Welfare Rights Officer at Equity, and Stephen Duncan Rice, who is a recruitment organiser at Equity. Alan and Stephen answer a lot of really important questions about tax welfare contracts, things to do with pay, negotiation, your relationship with your agent and the kinds of questions you should ask them, basically everything you should be aware of to make sure that you work happily and get paid the right amount. Thank you to everybody who sent us their questions via social media. Keep in mind that we'll be asking for your questions on social media in future. For now, take a listen. Alan, Stephen, thank you so much for joining me on the Spotlight podcast. No worries. Um, You both held a session recently uh, with Spotlight as part of our open house um, on knowing your rights, on freelance life and on taxation. Um, Can you tell us a little bit first, well, Stephen, I'll start with you. When you talk about knowing your rights, what are you alluding to? What does that actually mean? It's basically about protecting yourself when when you are working. Yeah. and ensuring that um, you're being treated properly. Yeah. I mean, everything that equity does is really just trying to ensure that you you will have a decent, good experience at work. Yes. Um, and that often comes down to money, but it surrounds everything else about your working life. Yes. And so that's really what we focus on. So it covers everything, basically, mm. from from, you know, when you... You know, from all the sort of from the auditions process, although we're less involved in that as a trade union, where it's about when you're employed, when you're at work, uh, but it's about everything to do with the quality of your working life. Right. If that makes sense. It does make sense, and obviously, a lot of that starts with the contract. Yes. So this is not a subject I think our members often like to talk about, but it's quite important that they have a contract yeah. and that it's a good contract. What does a good contract look like? You should be able to see it. Yeah, <laughs> so it should um, be visible yes, and given indeed. to you in writing. Uh, you should be able to, I mean, it is your right to see your contract. Um, and unfortunately, in the entertainment industry, particularly in the UK, and that's the in, part of the industry I'm more familiar with, um, seeing your contract is not always a given, particularly uh, television, film. It can be very late in the day before you actually see a contract. Yes. Um, and particularly even in live performance, and my specialty is really live performance. That's where I work predominantly. Right. Um, people will only be aware of a deal memo. They might mm. not see all the facts or particulars of their terms and conditions. And the danger is if you're going to work and you have not seen a contract, you're not clear about all the explicit terms and conditions of your employment. By doing the work, you are accepting those terms Right. Even if you don't know what those terms are. Yes. Uh, so we always ask, uh, uh, when I do a workplace visit, I will always ask um, the people there, have you seen your contract? Mm. And sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's with my agent, you know, all right. of that. So being able to see and understand your terms, conditions is the first, most important thing. And then, then maybe you can evaluate whether it's a good contract or not. Right. And you've just mentioned agents there, which is interesting. I think a lot of people who have representation assume, therefore, that it's in hand and it's taken care of. Should Is that a good method? Should people be should, more aware or just leave it to their agents? Don't leave it to your agents. Um, the agent is there to find work for you. They're there to negotiate the best possible terms for you um, in the market. 
That's what they do. They get paid when you get paid. Uh, but they are working for you. They're doing a job for you. And if you're an adult, you need to be aware of your terms, conditions of employment. This is your money we're talking about. You yeah, know, for sure. It's your money. It's your, you're earning a living. You're a professional. So it's, it's your responsibility to, to be aware of, your, of, of, of what you're doing yeah. and what is being expected of you. Yeah. Um, so I would always insist that you have a copy of your contract because you might move agents at some point. And those contracts may have a life beyond the work itself. So, for example, particularly recorded media, royalties, residual money, secondary payments, um, particularly in an environment where there are lots of pre-purchases, buyouts essentially mm. in place. You want to understand what the limitations of that is. There's a lot to it. Yeah. So um, get eyes on your contract, keep copies for yourself, respect your agent, but, but understand as well that you should have access to that information and don't just leave it to someone else. Yeah, you should be aware of all of that stuff. Yeah. I want to kind of get to a fairly tricky topic with you now, which mm. is to do with pay. Mm. Um, can either of you shed much light on what people should be asking for or how can they really negotiate anything on that front? What is the expectation? What's a realistic expectation? Well, that's a huge question. The union negotiates minimum rates of pay. Right. Under... Uh, the umbrella of collective bargaining. That's not something that is widely understood. And uh, sometimes the equity minimum is, is confused with the equity mm. rate. Yeah. There isn't an equity rate. We negotiate a minimum under the framework of collective bargaining when we have union recognition with certain employers. So there are equity contracts and there are non-equity contracts. Mm. And the number of equity minimum rates are colossal. There's loads of them. So I always encourage anyone who's not sure if they've been offered a fair deal contact us and we can let you know what the minimum is in that particular area. I don't know if you've got anything... Not really, no. But I, I mean, um, members can go on the website, can't they, and have a, they can. Have a look at the agreements yeah. and rates on, on the website. I just tried that out, actually, last week because I was mm. doing a visit to a commercial tour and I couldn't remember what the minimum rate was uh, for one of the uh, West End theatre venues, one of the categories. Um, and I was able to go on the website, and it actually does break it down quite nicely. So if, you've, if, you're, if you register with the equity website, you're a member, and you, you get your little password, you go in, you can check the rates. And the new website is actually pretty good for doing that. It's got a nice, clear breakdown mm. of those minimums. But there are loads of them. Yes. Always interrogate what is being offered. And also with the um, – very often now people work under a buyout agreement. So certain duties are being pre-purchased, particularly in theatre we're seeing this. Uh, it's de facto the norm in some of the sectors of the industry, particularly advertising, commercials. But understanding what, what you're giving away for the pay that you're receiving. So right. if you're getting £800 per week in theatre, is that just what they're paying you? That's your basic weekly wage? Or is it pre-purchasing overtime, mm. travel, working on Sundays, public holiday work? What is coming with that? And, and actually, it's really important for you to be able to interrogate that figure to be able to determine your own value and how you're, how the producers are valuing you as, as well because it makes it really difficult for our members to be able to assess sometimes. Of course. Um, so it's, it's a really big question. Yes, it is a big question. And just to add, I mean, it's not my area so much, but we're, we're always trying to extend the, the, uh, the, the areas which are covered by collective bargaining and minimum rates. So the ITC agreement isn't there and the fringe, the whole fringe theatre area, which is getting more and more in line with standard uh, minimum rates, which is a great thing. 
Yes, for sure. And I mean, it's a very complex subject, obviously, as you said, a big question, I know. But um, I guess part of the difficulty is obviously the nature of the work in that you are potentially negotiating contracts all the time or negotiating pay all the time and you're getting paid in dribs and drabs it could be um, you might have one job here and another job there and so yeah. there are multiple sources of income um, Alan in terms of actually getting set up and keeping track of that income what do you advise to people when they've got to later down the track actually mm. file a tax report well I think the important thing is record keeping isn't it and we go into some detail on this in our tax guide which we give to members mm-hmm. you have to keep records for uh, basically you have the tax year you have a final filing date after the tax year which is following January if you're doing it online mm-hmm. so you have to keep records for five years and ten months from the last filing date so unfortunately we still haven't moved on to digital systems so that still means people filing things in hard copy if they can um, if you haven't got actual receipts you can go by the evidence of your bank statements or PayPal, but that's a key element. Keep a very close record on money coming in, what was it, money going out, what was it, so that you have a handle on that. Does it change in terms of now there's quarterly (coughs) submitting coming into play? Do you advise people to set things up differently? Um, The quarterly submitting's not actually going to come in for income tax. That was what they were trying to get to with making tax digital, but Mm. that's been shelved. Right. Um, we actually lobbied very hard on that with others for mm. that to be shelved. Uh, it was put back to 2020, now it's been put back to beyond that. Okay. Quarterly is in f- um, for uh, people registered for v- VAT if they're above the VAT threshold. Okay. Um, uh, but the same principles apply with that. You just keep a very careful record of your mm-hmm. expenditure Uh and income, and you claim the expenses which you're able to claim. In, in my experience, members underclaim right. expenses. Well, that is a very common uh, question, I think, that comes in is what mm. can I claim? The yeah. number one thing I wanted to ask about that really was to do with um, your membership and whether or not you can claim that. So your spotlight membership, your equity yeah. membership. Oh, we're nodding. <laughs> you're nodding. Yeah, they're Enthusiastically. All, <laughs> they're, they're all allowable. Yeah. Um, uh, the slight misconception is... What they do is they reduce your taxable income, all those things. Yes. So when you do your tax return, you're putting them in against your turnover, and that's reducing your uh, net taxable income. Mm -hmm. You're not in any sense getting a refund of that money, as sometimes members think. But certainly Spotlight, yeah, equity membership. Um, What are the others? IMDB, that kind of thing. Um, There are others you can, as long as they're wholly and exclusively for business purposes. Right. Um, there are some expenses which are dual purpose. Okay. Uh, that's always a bone of contention with yeah. HMRC. I mean, gym uh, membership. I mean, imagine if you're doing Magic Mike the musical, mm-hmm. there might be, you could probably maybe argue for a portion of that. Well, one thing I'd mentioned with, with gym membership, sorry, I'm talking away from the microphone. <laughs> um, one thing I'd mentioned with gym membership is that HMRC have got much harder line on that in the last oh, really? few years. So really what we're saying now is um, claim it if what you're doing is very physical, so yes. say you're a dancer or a stunt performer or you're in a very physical role, claim a pro rata amount of it for mm. the period that you're in it. There's a lot of variation in what accountants are putting through out there. Some are still putting it through. Some are putting through a proportion. I think we're, we're taking a cautious line on it. On that, yeah. What about things like costumes? Because that feels Clothes like a... Clothes are always a problem. Clothes yeah. are always problematic. Costumes are fine okay. if they are used for performance work. Right, 
if it's clothing that you could wear every day, then that's and not. And HMRC was to inquire into your tax return, they'd probably disallow it. Right. Um, because of a court case that went on and on for ah, years okay. involving a barrister called Anne Malilieu. So mm. they found, the Supreme Court, that if it's something... Everyone has an interest in having clothing for warmth and yes, you know, of course. security. Um, <clears throat> basically, her court clothes were disallowed. OK. Um, on the grounds that she could have worn them every day. Right. Uh, so you have a problem once it's everyday clothing. With things like audition wardrobes, you can argue that, you know, those are the things you're only ever going to use for auditions and not for any other purpose. But generally speaking, as Steve rightly says, clothes are problematic. Yeah. Don't overclaim <laughs> and get <laughs> right. advice. Okay. And um, can I just say, though, because you might not ask this, if you're going to get an accountant, we have a list for members. It really, there are all sorts of reasons now why it's really important that it's an accountant who knows how the entertainment sector operates. That was literally going to be my next question uh. is, what's the value <laughs> of, of having an accountant? Do you need one? You really do need one who knows the sector. Mm. particularly because, as we know from recent events, HMRC are, are getting ever more interested in our sector and there are issues um, around so you, their approach. And mm-hmm. so you need someone who knows how, how sector operates. P- people work abroad a lot. Yes. So you've got all those sorts of tax implications when you go abroad, taxes withheld from your earnings. So you have it has to be someone who's clued up. Basically, right. with how the sector works. You've mentioned there's a list, but are there other sort of general things that you should look for that would make for a qualified accountant? Well, it belonged to one of the recognised accountancy bodies, the Chartered Institutes. Um, there, there are three or four different, different recognised bodies mm-hmm. where you would be, you know. So as long as they're part of one of those and potentially have um, some experience in the sector. Yeah. That's a good starting point. It's a good, it's a good starting point. So I'd be careful about accountants um, choosing your accountant, not accountants generally. <laughs> <laughs> accountants. Maybe not something we want to put out there as a quote. Um, but choose them carefully. And even if you pay an extra 200 quid a year, it's yes. worth it if you get someone who can maximise, for example, your expense claim. Right. That sort of thing. Yeah. So it can be very worthwhile. Yeah. I want to go back to um, sort of the contracts side of things for a second and ask you what the common sort of pitfalls are and the common errors that people overlook or potentially just forget about. Because obviously the minimum definition of a working contract is is not really the same thing as what you would ideally want. Um, Yeah. I mean, people sometimes don't understand that if they haven't seen something in writing or they haven't signed anything, that there's no contract in place. But that's not... But in in UK law, mm. a, a verbal agreement can be a contract. contract. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just if you then wanted a third party to uh, adjudicate or come to some kind of decision, if there's a dispute, then it's really hard in yes. those circumstances. But generally, it's if you know when you're doing something, uh, what you're doing, you know who's engaging you to do it, what you're getting paid. That's kind of basic details. Um, then essentially, you have a contract in place. Right. Um, there is a lot of misperception that if you are on a non-union contract, that we the union is not able to help you or would not be willing to help you, and uh, that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, you are more likely to need help if you're on a non-union contract, because very in in my experience in live performance, um, and we're very lucky. We have quite 
broad coverage of, of union agreements, but there are there are in the commercial sector some producers who elect not to use equity agreements. But when we see those, they're very often very poorly written, or they're very one-sided. They're, they're partisan agreements. They're written purely in the interests of the employer. Uh, they're not really that concerned about the perspective of the worker. Right. Um, and sometimes, and we often we often notice that they are in breach of legislation at times. So mm. it might be in regards to holiday pay, which is a regular issue, uh, that holiday pay is <laughs> not being calculated at all. Or if it is being calculated, it's not, um, it's not being done properly. And these things are statutory entitlements to workers. And our members, you know, if you're an actor, in most cases, you're going to be categorised as a worker under UK legislation and therefore entitled to some basic statutory rights, which include national minimum wage, holiday pay, and the European Working Time Directive while it lasts. <laughs> yeah. um, so these are often things that are neglected or overlooked um, in a sector that has some worrying lapses in professionalism, right. I would suggest, from, from producers. Sometimes it's out of ignorance, sometimes it's out of willful ignorance. Um, but if uh, and, and many of the people listening to this will probably have worked on non-union agreements, mm. um, they are more than able to come to us. If you have any questions at all, you can put a contract to us. You're, anything you submit to us is always confidential. We will not disclose any information to any third party. We'll give you an overview mm-hmm. and then let you decide what you want to do. If you wish to accept the work, then you'll go into it with your eyes open. Um, if you're in some, if you're in the work already and there's a disagreement, some kind of dispute, we can still represent you as a member. Um, so that's often a misperception. Yeah, um, it's really good to know that yeah, people can still ask the question at least. Absolutely, uh, and you are more likely to need help. <laughs> yes, quite of frankly. course. Well, I want to ask you about a slightly um, more unknown area of work, which is around the internet. Um, it is an increasingly common thing we notice at Spotlight that we're getting more and more breakdowns for work that would appear on YouTube or some other sort of online platform. And those areas seem to be less legislated and less well understood. Mm. Do you have any advice, particularly, well, in either respect, contracts or taxation, how can you manage that work better? It is in the interest of the worker who's being engaged on such a contract to restrict the usage where possible of their work. The idea being that you can extract as much money as possible from the license of your work. Mm. Um, so it's very important for any artist who's being engaged uh, for, for work on the internet or they know that their work is being filmed and then maybe used in different ways, that they have an understanding of um, where it's going to be used, yeah. how often, mm-hmm. in what regions, is it going to be global, um, and then to assess the value of that work. Yes, um, and it's very often it's a challenge that has faced um, actors performing in adverts and commercials for decades now, um, trying to understand the value of their work and to be able to negotiate a fair rate for that work without really knowing. Sort of made me almost having to gamble on on whether or not an advertising campaign will be successful. And again, with the internet, you don't know. Right. Something could just. Is it, I mean, it's it's an ocean. Yes. And your work will be less than a, a drip of water in that ocean. And or it could be more than that. But but even so, it, it, you know, how do you calculate the value of that? That's why agents are useful. But yeah. it's why seeing 
contracts are useful, but um, just go back to my initial point. Your, your priority should be trying to extract as much money as possible from the work. Yes. And that means understanding how the work is going to be used, where it's going to be used, how long it's going to be used, be wary, be wary of things like in perpetuity, right. uh, those kind of terms, look to see for, you know, and that means that if you've got some kind of restriction on it, it means if it's successful, they have to come back to you and renegotiate an additional fee mm. for your work. Um, and where possible, you should try and do that as, as best you can, even though market forces are, are very often against you. Yeah. Um, and, and that's because we have an issue and it's not just for the UK, it's a global thing, but there's a surplus of labour and not yes. enough jobs to accommodate that labour. Yeah. So the, the, the physics are sort of against you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's so hard to quantify because if you're getting paid per view on a YouTube channel or something like that, that's... Yeah, it's being able to calculate that though. Yeah. So is the person paying you the money, are they able to provide a record of how many can they examine? Is there transparency? Yes. Who is keeping a track of the views? Yes. Is there a third party doing it? Are they mm. doing it? Is anyone doing it? Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, we have, there are union agreements in mm. place to govern things such as, you know, the iPlayer, Netflix, yeah. services of that use. We have, uh, we have um, collective licenses with these with these outlets, and we are able to examine, to forensically analyse what's being seen, when it's being seen, and to gauge that and, and distribute monies from that, uh, which is incredibly valuable use of a union. That's, that's one of yeah. the things we have to do. Um, but very often people accept agreements without any detail of knowing how, how are you going to be able to... I mean, yeah. it's one of the issues with buyouts or deferred payments on films. Um, is How is anyone going to be analysing the accounts? Is anyone keeping accounts of this work? How is it being done? Um, right. is, is there an objective third party looking at this and then being able to distribute the information fairly? Or is it all coming through the producer? You're having to take the word of, of, of someone. The, yeah, yeah, right, of one person. Yeah, a lot to unpack. Yes, a lot. I want to, uh, that kind of leads me to another question, which is about um, if you're getting paid for work in another territory, in another country. And particularly, um, we've had a question asking about working in Europe. Mm. So in terms of doing your taxes at the end of the year, um, what are you doing with that work if you're getting paid mm. in another well, place? As, as things stand, um, what you have is a series of double taxation treaties between European countries and the UK many of which have been in place for many years. Mm -hmm. Now, for reasons, for historical reasons, entertainers and sports men, I think it still says sports men in the, <laughs> in the wording, really. treaties, um, have, are in a special category where they, um, if they go and work in a European country, it's the place of work right. which is important. So they'll be subject to withholding tax at different rates according to which country you go to. Mm. And what you can do is offset that against your UK tax liability. Okay. We do go into some de more detail yes. in the guide about how to do that. So so basically, if you're taxed at, uh, I don't know, 25% in Italy for the work, the performance work you've done in Italy, then you offset that against your basic rate tax here. There may be some tax you can't offset because of the different tax rates. Um, so there are other options that you can... You follow that and including trying to get a refund that's I quite see. complicated right essentially you do members are often surprised but you do 
get subjected to withholding tax when you work abroad, mm. just as they coming here will be subject to our UK withholding tax. I think originally it had something to do with people like the Beatles going abroad, <laughs> making huge sums of money on foreign tours, mm. and right, the, the, you know, the country in question not getting much out of it taxation <laughs> revenue out of it. Well, um, I see. It does come back a bit to our original my original comment about the accountant. Yes. Because when you're trying to juggle the best option for dealing with foreign tax incurred, you know, you need a good accountant. Yes. Who knows the sector. The other thing is keep track of your expenses when you're abroad mm-hmm. because you may well be able to include those in your tax return converted into sterling. Okay. It's, it's a difficult area, yes. foreign taxation. Uh, there are, you know, multiple, multiple different regimes. Mm. Um, uh, but it's good to know, particularly the keeping note of your expenses point there. Yeah. That you can still... And the answer is you can do something about it. You can offset a lot of it against UK tax. Mm, that's very interesting. I want to ask you both about younger performers, if possible. Um, we've had a question from someone who is 14 <laughs> on Instagram who wanted to know what the value of getting an equity card would be if she needs one um, as a 14-year-old performer. What well, could you say to that? For me, essentially, it's no different from an adult. I mean, in terms of if you're working regularly at 14, and we do have many people working regularly mm. uh, under the, you know, under what would be considered an adult age, um, you want to make sure that you're looked after and 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 being treated well wherever you're working. Yeah, in and the same way. Yeah, so it's no different really, mm-hmm. and, and they're able to join equity from the age of 10 upwards, actually. Okay. Uh, so Good. we have a young members committee. Um, we have, you know, our membership as an average is quite young um, for a trade union, mm-hmm. at least. <laughs> um, so I, I would um, I'd say, yeah, um, if it, it needs to suit you. So right. if you are working regularly, then I encourage it. If it's only intermittent work and you're actually planning to go and study, so you plan to go to drama school, um, you might want to consider our student membership scheme and then gradually go up through that pathway so student membership, graduate membership, full membership, um, as opposed to joining as a full member. Because once you've sort of become a full member, mm. you can't go back right. to be a student member. Even if you kind of like you're 14, you're working regularly in yes. film, TV, whatever, and then suddenly you go and study at drama school, you can't then become a student member. So, so consider the pathway you're on at the moment. But it's whatever's going to work best for you. Is it, yeah, you sure. know, paying your subscriptions? It costs money to be a member of equity. So is that going to be... Is that going to work for you? Right. and it, But I think there's another sort of question there implicit about parents mm. because often it's the parents who receive payment, particularly on behalf of younger mm. kids. What mm. advice can you give around that in terms of protecting the performer? Um, well, you want to protect your child from exploitation. Right. If your child is working regularly, then you want to make sure they have access to, well, that you have access to representation if there's some kind of problem at work. Mm. Um I advise anyone who has, you know, putting their child into a workplace that they're fully conversant, not only with the contract, but also with the, the rights of their child. So that might mean looking at working, you know, local authorities are very often the key to that. Um, and local authorities have different work patterns, work, uh, yeah, different processes, mm. depending on where you are. So I would just encourage, I mean, you really need to be, you want to protect your child. Right. Yeah. You know. 
Well, in I hope terms you do. of, <laughs> well, of course. Yeah. In terms of actually doing taxes, yeah. Are you submitting tax reports you for babies? Are. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, they're still subject to income tax, even right. young young children. Mm-hmm. So what tends to happen is the uh, parent or parents act as agents for the in terms of filing the return, but the same considerations apply in terms of getting tax advice and mm-hmm. all the rest of it. I'm afraid yes. the revenue don't 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 mind this. They're going to get their taxes <laughs> off you, even if even if you're a baby. Right. They're still they're still coming to claim. They're still okay. coming after you. Yeah. Yeah. You're some 13 year old working in Harry Potter. Yeah. Even yeah. so, they're still they're still interested. Right. I've got um, another interesting sort of parent related question here. Hmm. Um, someone's asked us if your parents support you. Do you have to put that on your tax report? So I assume they mean by that getting a sort of a gift, quote unquote, of money um, from their parents. Should you put that on your report? Well, again, you'd need to know the details in any individual case. Okay. If it's a bona fide gift, mm-hmm. um, it's not going to be taxable. Right. But every yeah, you know, that's a little grey area. That is a very general <laughs> statement. So I think every individual case you'd need to look at very carefully. Um, so <laughs> but here, Alan, I would not have had a clue. <laughs> yeah. it's a, it's a, it was just an interesting question, I thought. Yeah. Um, we have yeah. another sort of, I guess, more just to wonder what your opinion would be of this. Um, someone's asked, should agents take a cut from a minimum wage job? What do you think? Well, I mean, they, it's what you have agreed with your agent that would, would define what they can take and what they cannot take. Um it would be a, a, maybe an ethical decision. It is a slightly more ethical a question, question of, here. A question of ethics on behalf of agents. I'm not too sure if ethics and agents <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't say wow. much more. But um, it really, I mean, I think people do need to be very clear on the terms in which they engage an agent to work for them. Mm. And I think it's perfectly legitimate for an, for, uh, an artist to suggest to an agent that. But... It depends very much on the relationship that they have. And, I, yeah, I've seen contracts, I think, where, where an agent would probably waive that or be prepared to. But it's very much dependent on what's been agreed to. And, yeah. and yes, if, if they're just getting the basic, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the agent would argue that, well, hang on a minute, I found the they work for you. The work, yeah. You know, you wouldn't have got that job. You, you wouldn't be getting anything if it mm. wasn't for me doing this. So we deserve something, surely, but maybe you reduce the commission or something. Yeah. So it's a case-by-case basis, Everything's really. negotiable. Yeah. Yeah, and it's usually a, a sort of agent contract, isn't it, that you yes. sign you at the beginning? You should so. see something in writing of an agent. A yeah. lot of people don't. A lot of people are so happy, so relieved to get some kind of representation. They don't ask questions. Mm. And um, we always say get something in writing, get the agreement in writing. No, you know, if you're engaging someone to work for you, you, you sort of want to know the terms in which you're working with. Mm. Um, yeah, of course. The other agent-related question we had was about when to ask for a recall fee. And we were talking before we were recording mm, about yeah. this, and I was very surprised to know that you actually can It's not so much a, a fee on the recall. What it is is uh, basically if if the um, show is in live performance, mm-hmm. I think I'm not as definite on recorded media. I don't know if they exist in there. But um, there was, in recent years, there have been an obscene number of recalls on some shows. Yes. Like there's some West End musicals where you might be seen 19 times. Mm. Um, Yeah, we've heard that a few times. So our members were coming to us saying, this is ridiculous. It's costing us a lot to do this. It's it's absurd. And it is absurd. Um, So what uh, the organisers in their sectors... So basically, if a producer... If the show is under a UK theatre member, 
or a Society of London Theatre member, uh, after the third, on the third audition, you can claim travel. Right. And you just get your agent to request from the, uh, from, I think it would be the, um, it might be the casting agent. Um, casting director. Yeah, um, mm. or possibly, um, possibly from the producer's end, but the, the, the agent would contact on your behalf. So you don't have to ask the question in the audition yourself. Right. Which I think people felt very vulnerable about having to ask for money when you're also going for a job. Yeah. Um, is kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's awkward. It's awkward. <laughs> yeah. So um, you can do this remote. You can do it by email. It's just fill in the form. You put in your claim, your receipts, and it'll get processed. And it's just to cover the travel. Right. Um, it's from the third one. And those are under UK Theatre Equity Agreements and Society of London Theatre members. So producers can be members of these professional associations and they've made a commitment to the union to to abide by these rules right. so it's always worth investigating that mm. and come to us if you're not sure i have a slightly more fun question which is mm. is there anything surprising that you can deduct from your taxes oh, <laughs> any fun surprising things people may not realize they can um <laughs> surprising things haircuts can, can you do haircuts yeah, well, it used to be easier. I mean, they've got a bit more restrictive with hair as well, so right. if you're, I'm afraid. So to be on the safe side, it, a lot of accountants put through half. Okay. Um, if you're maintaining a particular style for performance or auditions, that kind of thing. Um, really, I suppose the, the, what the rule is it's got to be wholly and exclusively for business purposes. So right. provided you can prove that... You yeah. could bring some quite surprising things under, yeah. under, under, under that, that heading. <laughs> <laughs> we a lot, we're a very diverse union. We have a lot. Of, yeah. If you could be right. called a performer all and sorts be of paid professionally, then yeah, yeah there's so all uh, sorts of things could be claimed. Yeah, like, I'm just trying to think. People <laughs> who make sand sculptures, presumably they've got some interesting expenses. Um, oh, crikey. Claims. I didn't even know we represent them. Variety. We might do. We might. I think we've got a few. They're I'm doing sure it. We've had inquiries from them before. Anyway. Long story short, it could be. Quite a grey area. Anything. It could be literally anything. literally anything. If it's if you're you need it to do the job that you're doing and it's performance and 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 it's you know, then yeah. But um, why not? I do. I, one has sprung to mind while we've been talking actually, and that was one where I had some interesting discussions with um, a colleague about whether it was allowable, and that was someone who was doing a Santa. Oh, okay. In a shopping centre, mm-hmm. who was a member. And it was a shopping centre where they'd had some difficulties late, uh, recently, some violence, mm-hmm. and he was a bit worried about oh. personal safety. <laughs> oh. So he bought a bulletproof um, <gasps> was vest. It stab, was it stab-proof? Stab, stab-proof vest yeah, stab- oh to goodness. wear under his Santa outfit. And I was thinking initially, God, no, I can't, surely not. But when you think about it, <laughs> yeah. why is he getting it? Right. You know, he's, so he he's, can do he's, his he's, job. So he can do his job as Santa. Safely. <laughs> he's probably arguably got a reasonable fear that he might be attacked because of what's been going on there. So... Oh, Having discussed it quite with... Quite an extreme one, but possible. With, with, with a damning <laughs> indictment of the festive season. colleague, we decided, you know, go ahead, yeah. yeah. Wow. wow. So there that you would go. be, you know, initially Bulletproof, surprising. Well, sorry, stab-proof, stab-proof vest. Things like that bad, yeah. <laughs> Oh, goodness. I think there's other questions about contracts on for that one. But anyway. <laughs> um, health and safety. Health and safety. <laughs> Very important. Thank you so much, guys, for joining me. I only have one more question for you, which is if things do go wrong, if something seems to be not quite right with, I don't know, your contract or your situation at work, what should people do? Talk to us. Um, you can message, you go by Twitter, Facebook, email, phone us. Um, we try and make ourselves as accessible as possible. Um, don't stay silent on it. 
get a hold of us um, and and there are innumerable, innumerable ways which you can do so. Or sometimes people just want to contact us just so that someone will listen to them. Yes. And we're very happy just to listen. As well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll just, we'll give you a take on the situation. We don't have a financial interest in you taking work or not taking work. We just want to make sure that you're going to be okay in the work that you're going to do. So we, you know, there's no judgment. We just listen and then we'll we'll do our best to advise you. We can't always fix things. Yeah. We're not, we cannot always provide that silver bullet magic remedy. Sometimes a bad job is just a bad job. Right. And you've agreed to do it and it sucks and you just want to get out. Fair enough. We'll do our best to try and help you. Um, but it's a good idea to contact you sooner rather than later. Yeah, don't, don't be afraid don't to worry. either. And, and the same applies for our, our area, the area I work in. Um, basically, you've got a month, roughly, to mm. challenge decisions on tax or, or benefits, actually, benefits entitlements. Mm-hmm. So don't delay. If you come to us a year into an inquiry, it's so much more difficult to unscramble it. Yes, for sure. So that's really important. Uh, oh, I should also say, as a recruitment organiser, if you're not a <laughs> member, you should probably join, because um, otherwise we can't <laughs> help you at all. Um, which is really the key to a lot of this. It's like you know, yes. if you're not a member, we we we, we won't help because um, mm. we're not a charity. We're a trade union. Yes. Um, and we're there to represent the interests of our members at work. So join your union. Indeed. Thank Indeed. you. Thank you both so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thank you for inviting us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Spotlight Podcast. That's all for now from the home of casting. If you've got any other questions on anything that we've discussed today or for any future podcasts, drop us an email at questions at spotlight.com.